Doug, let's talk rotation again. All right, what is it, like three times the charm now for this uh, potential for value to pick up? I mean, come on, it's got to be for real this time, right, Doug? we got three months higher in yields. We've got vaccine on the horizon. Why, how could it not be this time? Uh, it's, it's in play, but I tell you what, if you look back uh, at major turning points between value and growth in either direction, you get backtracking days like this. As a matter of fact, uh, and that's one of the signs of turning points is when you see outperformance by growth over value of three, four percentage points or more and vice versa around turning points. I mean, it's emotional. People are repositioning. They're caught on the wrong sides of these things. And you see these massive one day swings. And again, in both directions, it just sort of cements what we thought for a while that a big rotation uh, was going to be underway. And I think certainly from, I mean, just like a rational perspective, um, the, and I think it was going to happen anyway, but this, this news of the Pfizer vaccine just sort of cements it that, you know, at some point next year, uh, we are really going to get back to some semblance of normality. Some things will have changed permanently, but we've just left uh, a lot of the broad list of stocks in the U.S. trading at pretty low valuations. Um, I mean, I'll just give you one example, uh, mm -hmm. Oliver, and that's our, our high PE mega cap tier that we watch. This is be the top out of the top 100 stocks in the US, the 33 with the highest uh, PEs are 45 times earnings. Mm -hmm. So that would be our proxy for mega cap growth. Our proxy for mega cap value, that'd be the, the lowest PE tier, the bottom third on a PE basis or about 15 times. So it's a three to one ratio. Historically, the average is, is closer to two. So I just look at an improving economy and think, boy, you know, those growth stocks could go from 45, which is above everywhere where they've traded historically, other than the peak of the tech bubble. It's higher than the nifty 50 of 1972. Their PEs could come down 20 or 25% mm. on weaker earnings growth than they're going to see out of those value stocks over the next couple of years. So those stocks could go from 15 to 18 on much greater earnings gains. So it could really translate into a, mm. a, a sustained rotation. Doug, uh, and that's just with the mega caps. I think you'll see that with mid and small as well. That's where I think the idea of um, you know this time around having more uh, sustainability to it becomes really interesting, both in terms of duration at which it could go on, also in terms of magnitude. I mean, it feels like the, the last time we had a conversation like this was in the fall last year, and there was something similar taking place. And even though tech was expensive then, it's gotten even more expensive. So the kind of quad quake that we got in the fall last year as yields rose, Fed stopped cutting, seemed like we were getting through the trade wars. It brought a similar event, but for the S&P overall, it kind of grinded sideways higher. I wonder if that's gonna be the case here, Doug, because this weird thing about COVID is that actually COVID sent us right back to the long-term trends of central banks crushing yields as far as they can go and investors pushing up valuations as high as they can go. So that spread basically got even more attractive for tech. Is it ever gonna be as attractive as it was during quarantine, Doug, the case for paying up for tech growth? Are we ever gonna get a better spread between economic growth and tech growth than we got these last six months? Uh, interesting way of looking at it. I, I think that's hard to believe unless we were to double dip, unless this vaccine fizzles out, 
um, or if just shutdowns in certain areas of the economy. And certainly the commercial real estate world is just going to be very different, uh, even when that vaccine is, you know, 100 percent effective. I mean, there are going to be some long term adjustments. Um, but, you know, I look at it this way with respect to valuations. I mean, this is kind of interesting. If you look at small caps, like the small cap 600, S&P small cap 600, I mean, prior to the election fireworks, that had been flat post the Trump bump. I don't know if you remember that. I mean, the small caps bumped right after Trump was yep. elected in the fall of 16. Then they went nowhere for 47 months, I guess, right? One, a one-month rally after Trump's election did nothing then until Biden's election. And of course, now they're embarking on this sustained upleg. Well, maybe just because of how rich that PE premium is for large caps versus everything else, it's sort of the S&P's turn to mark some time while the rest of the list catch, mm. catches up. And I think that would be an optimistic take when you're trading at, you know, by our lights, 30 times, uh, almost 30 times. It's like 29 and a half times our normalized earnings number. The highest number we've ever seen was around 35, uh, sometime in like early early 2000. So you could conceivably have another 15, 20% upside in the S&P to the highest number ever recorded in the 100 years of data that we have. That could happen. I don't think that's a great thing to play for when I look at reasonable valuations on so much of the rest of the marketplace. So I think the big trade, and again, it's going to be irregular. You're going to have days like this. We're rotating out of large cap growth and tech feels stupid, but I think you're gonna see a, a lot of days uh, to the other side and the general trend will be uh, for, for what's been left behind and had been left behind even prior to COVID to catch up here in the next, and not just six months. I mean, this is gonna be, I think a, a two to five year phenomenon depending on how the uh, recovery unfolds. Doug, one of the points that you have in your latest note is to not try and overplay the politics and the election. I particularly liked this point because it seemed from what I heard, just kind of the commentary and from a lot of guests is trying to push and kind of uh, project maybe a better word is the sort of uh, whims of the politicians and the fiscal talk and the deal talk onto some of the trends in the market. And I think that's where bonds get really interesting because really if you kind of be a stalwart to, or a stickler rather about the bottom in the bond yield, it's in August. Um, there wasn't a blue wave prediction formed that early in August. We didn't really, we're talking more about vaccine delays than anything to do with, uh, you know, efficacy rates. We've had COVID ups and downs. I mean, in the, your mind, has the bond market chosen a direction here in the trend higher? And how important is that trend to sustain for the rotation that you're talking about to keep going? Uh, I, I do think it's uh, related to the rotation. Uh, I think the, the direction of the bond yield uh, will determine maybe at what terminal market level we do that rotation. In other words, I mentioned where we are, you know, over 29 times normalized earnings, and there are a lot of other stats I can throw, you know, some are at all time highs, like 2.6 times sales on the S&P 500. The issue is we're at exorbitant large cap valuations, and we have likely entered a period of rising bond yields. So the issue is how much runway do we have before the stock market cares about that? Hmm. I mean, to go from one to one and a half percent on the 10 year bond yield. OK, is the bond market, the bond market, I'm sorry, the stock market going to look at that as, hey, just a 50 basis point increase 
or is it going to view it more as a 50% increase right. off of the 1% base? Right. And I, it's very hard to know that, but it certainly in our work, uh, like the large cap growth stocks have traded as if that drop in the bond yield was like an exponential positive. In other words, the drop from uh, 150 to 75 basis points, and you're right, we went to 152, I think, in, in or I'm sorry, 0.52 in early August. I mean, that just had an exponential effect on the relative PEs of large cap growth stocks. Mm -hmm. And uh, it cuts both ways if we do see a rise in uh, yields to one and a half, two percent over the next couple of years. I mean, it would, I think that would speed the rotation and put a cap on uh, overall where the S&P 500 could go. And it might be a stimulant in terms of the where the value indices and mid and small cap indices could go. In other words, stronger growth, more profit leverage, uh, the higher rates wouldn't matter. And as a matter of fact, it might be celebrated by mid cap and small cap and cyclical investors. Hey, Doug, one other one here. We got about 45 seconds left, but um, is there a compelling enough case for growth outside of the U.S. Uh, to help keep the rotation going? Because one scenario potentially would be, let's say there's a, a, an amazing timeline for the vaccine or then this COVID curve goes down immediately, some hypothetical in which investors bail out of those bonds and they want to put their money somewhere. One of the views I've heard is that, well, they might just pile it back into the tech stuff. And I, I guess it's okay. I think we kind of test that with the vaccine and said, that, and we see that they didn't, but just hypothetically here, don't they need other alternatives, though? Are the alternatives outside the U.S. going to be enough, or can small caps do it, al do it alone? Are small caps really going to suck up all that flow that's coming out? Uh, well, some will be, you know, flow coming out, but it would, I mean, the, the massive market caps we're talking about, you know, some of it, I think those valuations overall in a lot of the large cap growth space are just going to compress. It's going to go, yeah. Uh, yeah, and it will just disappear. So destruction. Uh, yeah. Instead of flow. I mean, the yeah. S&P 500, you know, we talk about, you know, we've written about attractive valuations on a lot of the U.S. market. But the fact is the S&P 500 is 77 percent of the market cap of the total U.S. So if the valuations come under pressure over the next couple of years as interest rates rise, which I think is the most likely scenario or another bout of weakness that's COVID related. Uh, yeah, it's it's going to be hard for a passive portfolio that's you know tied to the S&P 500 to make a lot of headway. I mean, I think it's one of the worst times in history to be tethered to the S&P 500, yet it's remarkable. That's almost all most of the TV pundits talk about. I mean, there are so many more attractive opportunities in the world, really independent of what your economic recovery path okay. may be. I think we've learned this year, earlier this year, just how difficult it is uh, to forecast the economy. I mean, we had a lot of warning signs coming into the year and for yield curve widening, credit spreads, uh, action within the stock market, cyclical small caps underperforming, and lo and behold, we got a recession for an external reason, but there were a lot of paw prints from the bear uh, that manifested themselves before mm. uh, COVID took us down in March.